0: Hi, Rostam.
1: Hi, how's it going?
0: Going good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Um, I thought a good way to kind of talk about some of your techniques would be to talk about, to go through all the different albums you've worked on and maybe talk about your role in them and where they recorded. Maybe starting from Vampire Weekend Records, going to your solo work. So with the first Vampire Weekend record, was that recorded mostly, I think it was like a little interface and a lot of random rooms, is that right?
1: It was, yeah, it was kind of like the beginning of realising that you could record things in a bunch of different rooms and they would all kind of live together in the recording. And, and in fact, maybe that the recording would benefit from having these different colours um, in the form of these different spaces. uh that imparted themselves on what you hear on the record. So with that first Vampire Weekend album, the song Oxford comma, we recorded the drums for that in the practice space at Columbia University before we graduated. And uh, subsequently attempted to, to re-record the drums for that song, but they never sounded as good as those, that original recording um in that space so
0: i think i heard that that was recorded with one sennheiser 421 is that right
1: that's that i would say that's 80 percent of the drum sound
0: is there um other mics that you, you were using a lot for that album
1: there yes there were other mics that i used on that album i used a tlm 103 on vocals and i used an sm 58 on vocals too. And then we had friends who had a basement where there was a drum set set up, and we were able to record drums in their basement with their mics and and their kind of setup. And so that's kind of how we made that record was every song the the track was sort of sketched out with scratch elements and then from there we would start by putting in putting down the drums and building the rest around the drums
0: were you mixing entirely with plugins at that point yes
1: yes definitely and i remember i remember meeting some people who were like you, you guys are using tape, right? And I was very flattered that, that they thought that what we did sounded tapey. Um, but I think a lot of how we got there was sort of with approach and the attitude as opposed to, like, the authentic gear. And then also using a lot of, you know, Chamberlain and Mellotron sounds. And those sounds do... You know, they do impart a tapiness if you leave them untreated. And, and that's, that's kind of what I did. That's how how I achieved a lot of those sounds on that first Vampire Weekend record was to not add reverb or something to a Chamberlain or Mellotron sound, just to leave it dry. But, you know, I was like I was blown away when, when I found out Wonderwall wasn't a real cello. It's a Chamberlain cello. I think part of why that that song has a cello that's, you know, it's a Chamberlain cello, but it sounds so real, it's because there's some reverb on it and it no longer sounds tapey. It sounds something else, you know? You start to lose some of that tape distortion.
0: I guess moving on to Contra, was that recorded in more kind of traditional spaces?
1: <sighs> Contra was a mixture of sort of hi-fi recording and the same more lo-fi recording with a little bit more money. <laughs> not a lot much, not a lot more money. But the way that we did that one was instead of going to a friend's basement to record the drums, for about half the songs, we booked out a studio in Midtown in Manhattan. And the studio is called Avatar. Historically that you know that studio was called The Power the power station in the eighties. And I'm pretty sure, you know, that's where born in the USA was recorded. And that gated, the gated drum sound is from that chamber in that studio. So it was a great drum room. And it was one of my first experiences recording in a professional studio. And so we did about five songs worth of drums in that room. And then we took it back to the space Uh, that we were renting called the Treefort. And uh, the Treefort, what I liked about it was that it had Pro Tools HD. And at the time I was still running a Digi002 and Mbox. And so I appreciated being able to have that extra power that Pro Tools HD had. But the Treefort was really just a, it was just a uh, storage space that had been, built out to be a recording studio um and and done so you know um, you know truly on a budget but
0: were you um still on engineering even in those professional studios i i mean i think that's
1: i think it's part of my role as a producer is to to engineer records creatively um i i don't know how else to do it you know i, I I don't think I'll ever be the kind of person who just sits down and says, you know, I'm not, you know, like, I I don't care how you mic the drums, or I don't care how you mic the guitar, or I don't care how you mic this vocal. That'll never be me. I'm always going to have opinions about those tasks and how they come together and I love collaborating with people. I love working with engineers that have a vision and have insight. And I think it just it only makes things better. But I definitely am always going to have uh, opinions about engineering. And and I, I would say I've been an engineer on every single project I've been a part of.
0: Do you remember anything specific about the recording the drums on the album in terms of techniques or mics?
1: On Contra? Yeah. I remember that we used we had a distressor a, a stereo distressor with the Brit mod and that was in parallel and we had this Lexicon PCM reverb that had some kind of like 80s gated reverb sound. And I remember we we only we only spent two days at Avatar recording drums. And I remember at the end of our time there, I asked the engineer, I because it was all everything was you know set up through an SSL board. And I was like, when we take this home, is it going to sound the same? And he was kind of like, no. And and, and, I, and I was like, what do you mean no? And he's like, well, you know, we're running all this stuff in parallel, like. it it would, I'd have to recreate what's going on on the board in Pro Tools. And I was like, well, can you do that? And he was like, oh yeah, I can do that. And that was one of those situations when I realized, like, thank God I asked. So then he he printed the Distressors, he printed the Gated Reverb, which I used, you know, like on the song White Sky. You can hear there's just a few moments where that gated reverb comes in and out. Um, and he, pre- you know, he recreated the panning of the board. And and so then the next time the session was opened up, it was sounding pretty close to how it was prior. So that was good.
0: Do you remember any of the mics or um, mic techniques that we used on the album? I definitely remember...
1: We had a mixture of ribbon mics and condenser mics. I think I took a photo of the mic setup uh, for that record. And I have it somewhere in my archive so I could send it along. But then about half the songs on Contra, the drums, were also just recorded not at a professional studio. They were just recorded at the Tree Fort. and At the time, I had a Neumann M149, and I was using that as an overhead. Um, So a song like Diplomat's Son, most of the drum sound is coming off an overhead M149. Right. And I also used Drumagog to, uh, to supplement the snare with a classic reggaeton snare sample.
0: Right. So... Have you noticed any differences in your processing in terms of work um, recording in professional rooms or more kind of random spaces?
1: I think it's always good to have a mix. so nowadays the only studio that I use, and this has been the case you know pretty much for the last seven years, the only studio I use besides my home studio is one that's in uh, Hollywood. It's called Vox. And it's the combination of the room and the tape machines that makes that room special. And it also has a couple of EMT plates. So you know, f- for me, recording drums, I'll definitely get the plate and I'll not only take the plate, but take it down to tape and uh, you know, take everything down to tape. Pre- I'm not, you know, pretty much everything that you record there does sound better on tape, with maybe the exception of piano. Uh, I recently discovered piano doesn't sound as good. It sounds better in Pro Tools for whatever reason. But just to give a little more background, like um, whenever we're recording at Vox, we're re- we're taking the tape signal and as a backup, you take the Pro Tool signal just in case something goes wrong with the tape, that it's not a total waste. I can tell you 99% of the time I've only used the tape signal. I've never used the Pro Tool signal. But um, for pretty much, there's a few exceptions, but pretty much every record I've made in the last seven years, the drums have been recorded at Box.
0: Is that where you did the drums for Modern Vampires?
1: Yes, and that's how we dis- we first discovered that studio because we were looking for a place to do drums, and uh, and that's that you know that was the that was the place that we discovered, and then we booked. I think we did all the drums for that record in maybe a day and a half, and that was the situation that was kind of inverted where we recorded the drums kind of at the end of the recording process and the drum parts on that album were very much sculpted um, before uh, the recording process. And, And making that album, unlike the first Vampire Weekend album, where pretty much every song we could play as a band, or the second album, where about half the songs we could play as a band, the other half were me and Ezra's sort of like, inventions of the two of us kind of sitting in the room together and using the studio as a tool. On the third Vampire Weekend album the entire record was really formulated from me and Ezra sitting down together and using the studio as a tool for making songs and then towards the end of the process Ariel got involved and the three of us kind of became a team.
0: Can you talk a bit about the use of Verispeed on the album? It's funny because
1: I, I can, I remember we used it on step on the drums. There's about three drum kits playing the exact same thing on step. And, the, and what you hear is probably a blend of all three. Um, there's, there's definitely very speed moments on Everlasting Arms in the kungas, and if you listen carefully, you can sort of hear the pitch dipping up and down as the kungas are being played. Um, but there's probably more instances that I don't remember. I have to go back and you know listen to stems, but it, I would say it was an it was an element of it. I'd say a bigger element was probably using uh, Ableton and and using formant shifting in Ableton.
0: Were you doing that on drums too?
1: Uh, yeah. There. That was def- That was a. That was part of it. That was in the mix. Uh. But really, like on a song like "Step," the lead vocal was recorded on my laptop and the reason that it has that sort of strange character is because it was recorded a third below what it actually is now. And I used formant shifting to bring it up to where it was.
0: Was that where um the vocal from uh, Yahé hey came from as well?
1: I think it, it may have been. Yeah, it may have been, because there was definitely eras where that song Yahé started in Ableton and then moved to Pro Tools. And we had a sort of, like, sort of 80s electro, African electro, Jamaican electro kind of version of Yahé that we were working on in parallel to the sort of more organic version that made the final record. And, I, you know, I think the final version is pretty much all the organic stuff with the vocals from the or the the pitched up vocals from the kind of electro version
0: something that i hear a lot of in that album and your solo album as well it's really like crunchy kind of quite heavily compressed drums was there a certain way you went about achieving that sound
1: The way that I achieve that sound is usually with a combination of Vintage Warmer and the SPL Transient Designer. And I use the SPL Transient Designer to really tighten the signal. And I'll use Vintage Warmer to blow it out. Um, And when you do that with stuff that you've recorded in Pro Tools, it always sounds good, and it has excitement when you when you do it with stuff that you've recorded on tape it goes to another place and it starts to sound magical and you get the hiss of the tape involved in how you're processing your signal and all of a sudden it's sucking in and out sometimes with every beat of the drum and it you know it, it really starts to create a new sound and there's no way to really fake that with plugins uh, you kind of need to use tape to get there. But Vintage Warmer, Vintage Warmer is a plugin that I'll just talk about this plugin for a hot second. Is a plugin that I've used on every album that I made. I didn't really know what it was doing in the Vamp- Vampire Weekend first record era, and I kind of discovered exactly what it was doing on the second album, and and I started using it more, sort of more technically whereas prior to that I would just sort of turn one knob and be like oh I like what that's doing and I didn't really as my dad would say I didn't pull the pants down on it you know to know really know what was going on there um so I would say that that is a very powerful plug-in to this day for me and uh I don't think I'm alone in in loving that one.
0: Was there an increased use of hardware on that album as well? On
1: Modern Vampires?
0: Yeah.
1: I definitely think, you know, I started using compression on vocals, using an 1176 on the way in, Um, but not on every song, but that was a feature of it. And then, Ariel as well on the vocals that he recorded on that record. He was using an 1176. I had a Neve pre or Neve style pre that I bought. So yeah, I definitely think Outboard gear became, you know, it became more available to me because I finally had the money to buy it. Uh, I was kind of stingy with spending money on recording. I remember like I said, the reason I like that Studio Tree is cuz it had Pro Tools HD and it was only at the end of having completed Contra that I treated myself to having a Pro Tools HD unit for my own house, you know? And uh that was at the end of 2009.
0: So, I think I remember you saying that whenever you did use hardware, you like to run it through the software emulation as well afterwards?
1: Yeah, sometimes. I definitely do think that about certain tape plugins. That, you know, it's one thing to record something on tape, but historically the way people use tape was they often couldn't only put something down to tape one time. They would have to bounce it back and forth. And I think as a result, you know, things that are things in albums that are made fully in tape are way more fucked up sounding because they're not just hitting tape once. And so that's that's kind of what I was getting at with using plugins in addition to the real thing, you know?
0: Hey everyone, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Tonalux and their brand new JC37 microphone. This is a clone of the old Sony C37A tube microphone designed with producer Choja Kareli, who was on episode 5 of the podcast. The original Sony mics were used on sessions with people like Jimi Hendrix, Dawes and the Wrecking Crew. In my opinion, these new Tonalux microphones are great for people with small studios and home studios who are looking to invest in one really great tube condenser mic. Unlike a lot of tube condenser microphones, these Tonalux mics are incredibly versatile. can be used on guitar amps, snare, kick drum, drum overheads, vocals, and almost anything that in a lot of situations a normal tube microphone couldn't handle the sound pressure of. And because you can get these microphones right up close to a lot of sources, they're great for recording in ideal spaces, which is what I do a lot of as I have a portable recording studio. And another great thing about them is even though they're hand-assembled in the USA, these mics are a lot cheaper than a lot of classic tube microphones as well. You can get a pair of them for the same price that you could get a single tube microphone from a lot of other manufacturers. Please visit tonalux.com forward slash product forward slash JC37 to see more information about them. Thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. What's your approach to recording strings been over time? Because obviously they form quite a prominent part of all of the records in some way.
1: My approach to recording strings is not to mic them from too close keep your mic far from your strings and you'll be happier is my is my tip don't don't get too close to the string cuz the truth is string instruments were they're part of a tradition that's called chamber music you know and chamber music is meant to be heard in a room of considerable size and it's about how the the instrument reflects through that throughout that room it's not about how close you can get up to that instrument. You want to capture the instrument and the room. So that's what I would say is my approach.
0: What were some of the mics that you were using on Morton Vampires?
1: For vocals, we used a U99, which is made by Sound Deluxe. And that was a mic that both me and Ariel had. Um so we we had pretty much the same vocal chain on both coasts and uh it was the uh U99 the a Neve style pre and the 1176
0: is that what you used on piano as well?
1: Mm. Yes, actually. I mean Some of the piano on that record was just recorded in my apartment, like Unbelievers. I think it's an SM7 that I had for the left side of the piano and a U99 for the right side of the piano. And I just put those two mics up and create a stereo image and record that stereo image. Um, That's, you know... That usually gets me where I want to be with regards to recording a piano. Uh, There's some piano on that record that was recorded at Vox, and I don't remember exactly how we mic'd it that day. But there were more mics on it. There were mics behind the piano, mics in front of it. There was a blend of mics.
0: Do you remember the drum recording setup at Vox for Modern Vampires? I think I remember it was quite a lot of mics further away
1: well the engineer dave Schiffman was definitely a big part of of the drum recording um on a lot of those songs like and and his technique of using stereo overheads that were both Ribbon mics and condenser mics and having them in parallel, so you have four mics, and you get the grittiness he would say from the ribbon and the clarity from the condenser um and you blend them that you know that was a big part of the the sound on that record. Vox has a huge cabinet of microphones you know they they have i think four forty sevens They have a lot of KU-3As. And actually, after we recorded at Vox, about a year later, I bought myself a KU-3A. And I've had that mic up in my studio as a room mic uh, for the last five years or so.
0: Were a lot of the things like organ on that, were they software ones, or were they ones that you actually went and recorded? It was...
1: I wonder which sounds, if you you tell me which sounds you're referring to, it's probably software, but, you know, with, like I was saying before, it's like, it's more about how you treat it than, than, uh, what specific plugin you're using. You know, I think I could, if you, if you stuck me in a room with, you know, terrible sounds, I think I could make a find a way to make them sound interesting and make them sound old or make them sound, uh, how I want them to sound, because I've, over the years I've kind of like understood, gained an understanding of signal flow. So you know, I I can take a contact patch that's very traditional, and I think I can make it make something more out of it. Uh, I think there's nothing wrong with taking sounds that are very available, and and putting your own spin on them.
0: I think a big part of the Sound of That record for me as well, with the kind of haunting quality, is a lot of the use of reverbs. Were there any particular go-to reverbs for that album?
1: I would say Altiverb, Ch- Cello Chamber Studios. That's one that both me and Ariel loved and have loved. And I would say... verbs, AMS Hall and AMS Nonlin, those are you know go-tos. So in terms of like using the EMT plate, I definitely remember like the song Hudson. I remember when we recorded the brass for that and I was spending some time kind of like getting it to a mix. I, I'm pretty sure I I used only the 100% wet signal of the EMT plate for the brass on that song. And I think, you know, when you say haunting, that's like a really good example of haunting to me.
0: I wanted to ask about, I think on Unbelievers as well, there's a moment near the end where it's not quite clipping, but it's like, it sounds like it's being pushed so hard. When I first heard that, I was kind of, taken aback but then I kind of realized it was deliberate and it was actually like a really good way of creating intensity did you have any particularly particular ways of achieving that?
1: I can tell you exactly how that was achieved and I really want to give credit to Emily Lazar who was the mastering engineer and has been the mastering engineer of pretty much every record I've ever made and she knew that you know we were in the middle of the process of mastering the record and she knew that we were using 808s um, for, you know, specific moments like the chorus of Worship You or the breakdown of Finger Back. And she was, she was the one who said you need to bring the 808s in for the end of the song. And at the time my methodology for programming 808s was to do them in reason. And to use a kind of dirty eight oh eight sample, double it in octaves, and then use the reason built in limiters to just completely obliterate the eight oh eight and and so that's I think that is what you're hearing at the end of that song there's a tuned eight oh eight that's moving in exact accordance with the bass line and it's just tucked in the mix and it's creating that sort of like terrifying rumble which is actually you know exactly in the right key and playing the exact right chord at every moment.
0: On Young Lion that bass is that a programmed bass or is it just a real one kind of cut, cut up?
1: I don't want to say too much (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: i can't i can't give you guys all of my secrets yeah but i would say that i would just i would just go back to saying i don't have a problem with using available sounds and right. you know if you if you close your eyes and it sounds real to you then you know to me that's you know that's the magic of recording
0: on the album that you worked on with, um, with Hamilton, was that done at Vox as well? So
1: that record was made completely, entirely recorded and mixed in my home studio in Los Angeles. And it was the first record I made in my home studio. And towards the end of the process, we booked exactly one day at Vox, and we recorded the drums for the entire record at Vox. So everything was done at at my personal studio. And all the drum parts were sketched out pretty precisely before we got to the point where we sent them out to Stephen, who played drums on the record. and we he he actually took the time to learn each part very intricately very exactly and uh and and with a couple exceptions we used all of his live drumming some sometimes it was a blend of real and fake and a couple maybe one moment it's like all fake but the rest of it is his real drumming at Vox recorded to tape.
0: Do you remember any particular recording techniques for that album in general?
1: Definitely. I remember setting up... I can't remember if it was... I think it was two mics for to record... I can't remember if it was two or three mics. I think it was two mics to record the nylon string acoustic um, on the song in a blackout. And I put them up about four or five feet away from each other. Um, And then that acoustic uh, nylon string acoustic part is double tracked. and, And I'm pretty sure I panned, I hard panned, you know, two of the mics. And then there's a couple that are sort of more towards the middle, and then I use a blend of not of the that altiverb AMS Nonlin and the altiverb AMS Hall. I used a blend of those reverbs on those nylon string acoustics to make them really like gel together and sort of become one sound. I think, and that's what that's one of the sound my favorite sounds on that record is those nylon string double-tracked acoustics because there's a there's a lot of precision there but they also sound like one thing and it was a combination of the mics placement and the reverbs that got us there
0: did you have any particular um approach to recording with haim
1: my approach was and it continues to this day because i'm Currently working with Haim on new music as well. My approach is really just to try to make Danielle happy. If Danielle's happy then then everything is swell, you know? And she's she's somebody who just has so such immense knowledge of you know music and recording and songwriting. And it's everything so deeply intuitive to her. So, you know, she she can get behind a drum set and, you know, literally play any beat that she wants to play. And it sounds fantastic. And she can, you know, get in front of a mic and sing like Joni Mitchell and you just, your jaw just drops. So I would just say with Haim, I'm just always trying to keep up with Danielle, like, I want to make her happy. I want to do the best I can to capture uh, what she's capable of and to capture the three of the sisters sort of incredible group dynamic uh, when they're on a record at the same time. You know, when they're in the studio together, that, that magic, just trying to capture that magic and And uh, see where it goes.
0: Do you remember any particular recording techniques for that album? Or those albums?
1: I definitely think for Walking Away, I remember all the drums on that song are programmed except for the hi-hats. And the hi-hats are Danielle playing it in my studio, in my home studio. And I, I set up my KU-3A, and I set up my 414, which is you know one of my favorite mics on vocals and everything pretty much in the last five years. That's become one of my favorite mics. So I think what's unique about walking away is that when the real hi-hat comes in, it it's sort of it's super integrated in this electronic uh world. And then it's You know, Esty is playing the slap bass, and that's another organic element. And those things are just kind of functioning in conjunction with one another.
0: Which version of the 4.14 are you using?
1: Oh, my God. You know what? I had to do some troubleshooting. I'm pretty sure I bought a couple before I found the right one because the one that I wanted was the one that, Chris Martin has used and I'm pretty sure I've found the Chris Martin one because they all do sound kind of different, but I'm pretty sure the one that I have is from the early nineties.
0: Right. Is it the BULS? That sounds right. But I,
1: I think, you know, if, if someone's really looking for the right 414 they're they're so cheap they're like 800 bucks you know buy a couple (laughs) and return them whatever it is you know like sell them if you need to they they really are worth it to find the good one because the good ones they they are magical and they sound incredible on everyone's voice i remember when i was working with hamilton whenever he'd sing loud i'd be i'd like put that mic up and I'd be like Hamilton we have to record you with this mic. And he would kind of laugh and he would say oh I remember this mic from 1998 or 1999. You know, he's like oh I we use this mic all the time. And he he thought it was kind of funny but he would he would always humor me when we worked together. Uh and I think he was happy with the way the vocal sounded when we used that 414 so it really is a good mic for capturing loud voices. And I think it's a good mic for capturing like vocal energy.
0: On your solo record, did you take a more kind of creative or any particular unusual approaches to any techniques?
1: I definitely remember recording the song Half Light and kind of like, feeling like that song was something separate from the rest of the album and that I you know at times like when I added that guitar solo I was like this is just me having fun this isn't for the album and it definitely you know it was something that when I got close to finishing the album I was like what am I going to call this album and the more I listened to the song Half Light the more I felt connected to it and the more I felt like it was an important sort of snapshot of me sitting in the studio and sitting down with, at the piano, then putting a drum take down and putting a bass take down and then a guitar solo down, pretty much all those elements are first takes, um, and all of them I did record in my home studio. I didn't, I didn't really go to box for that song. So I guess I remember that sort of like lovingly just kind of getting to a point where me playing in the studio, and, and I use that word sort of broadly, this idea of just kind of playing around, kind of capturing that felt really good to me. And that's something I want to pursue, continue to pursue, just capturing that that sort of fun that I have when I sit down in a room and just try to make music and, don't, and I don't think about what or who it's for. And I think being somebody who gets, I get to collaborate with so many incredible people and I love it to death and it'll ne- I'll never stop doing it. So when I make records on my own, it's just, it really is about having fun and uh and capturing that spirit on on tape
0: Do you have a kind of standard way of recording drums in your home studio?
1: I do actually and and on recently the song Bags uh, by Claro, Danielle actually played the drums on that song and I took a picture on the day we recorded the drums. We recorded drums for that song in my home studio. There's other songs on the album that Danielle played drums on that we used Vox for. Um, But on bags, I was using two Coles as overheads. I was using a 414 kind of far away from the drum set. I was using an 87 as a kick mic, which is terrible. and I shouldn't have been doing it. But, but luckily, you know, I was able to get a good drum sound that way. And a unique drum sound. And then I have to give credit where it's due. Sean Everett, who mixed that song, he really took the drum sound to the next level. And, uh, and he and I have now kind of started working on a lot of stuff together. He mixed five songs on the Claro album and he and I are both sort of vintage warmer addicts and we joke about how much we love that plugin. And, uh, and, you know, he, he's now just mixed a new heim song and it, we got to like, we've gotten to a, a point where we're in a really cool, kind of like flow so it's been fun the last few months have been really fun
0: could you talk a bit about the use of di guitar in some of your albums
1: absolutely i love di guitar (laughs) um i i definitely think that using a tube di has helped Uh, achieve the sound that I want Um, and back in 2013 I was at Shangri-La and I was recording some bass and I used something called an evil twin and I love the way it sounded Um, evil twin is a tube DI that lets you you know kind of capture just a little bit of that tubiness in in a uh, in a in any kind of instrument you want to run into it. So pretty much all the analog synths and all of the electric guitars that I record, I record through the evil twin. But generally I don't need a lot of fancy gear to record guitar and be happy with the way it sounds. To me, it's more about how you process it, like understanding the signal chain. How does the, you know, why does the guitar sound the way it sounds on the records that you love? what's you know what's going into it does it sound roomy does it sound distorted does it sound you know wow and fluttery does it is there spring reverb is there you know saturation at what point are these things occurring and i think knowing knowing when those things are entering your signal chain is kind of like that's more important than having like fancy amps or fancy guitar pedals. Uh, So like a song like Diane Young, all of those guitars are, are D I pretty much all the guitars on modern vampires, the electric guitars were D I. Um, But, but again, it's not to me, it's not about the gear. It's about how you're thinking about the sound. Once you have it recorded
0: are a lot of the prominent guitars on the first record dialed or through an amp
1: <sighs> that the first vampire weekend record that was a lot of the hot rod deluxe amp that i had that we recorded the guitars through um so like on Cape Cod, Quasa Quasa, that electric guitar, that's as you're playing um, Epiphone through the Hot Rod Deluxe with a little bit of spring reverb. And then I remember I would, I would put like a dynamic mic up against the amp. And on that song, I remember having a TLM-103 as a room mic. And the sound that you hear is a blend. It's like a panned blend of the close mic and the room mic, with the room mic having a little bit of delay. Uh, o- Oxford comma, that guitar solo was just um, just one mic, and it was uh, it was the uh, the Hot Rod Deluxe with just a tiny bit of spring reverb.
0: I always presumed the Cape Cod guitar sound was a slap delay,
1: and it, it sort of was a slap delay. It was achieving that through using a room mic and delaying the signal on a room mic. So, um,
0: to finish up, if it's all right, could you maybe talk a little bit about your contributions to "Father of the Bride"? Well,
1: the song "We Belong Together" was—it was one that. Me and Ezra had started on this writing retreat that we did in, I think 2012, when we were sort of at the final stage of writing the songs for modern vampires. And we went up to Martha's Vineyard, which is sort of right underneath Cape Cod. And we sort of locked ourselves in a friend's cabin, and gave ourselves kind of a directive of writing songs as quickly as we could. And we started the song Everlasting Arms there. We started the song Don't Lie There. And what became We Belong Together started there as well. It was this sort of 12-string acoustic guitar riff that I had that, I, that goes,
0: bum, bum 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 bum-bum-bum-bum.
1: And then Ezra put an electric guitar line on top of that. It was like... And so those two guitar lines were kind of interlocking. And from there, we knew we had something good. And sort of years later, we sort of reconvened to make some more music together. And Ezra was like, I have this idea, this song we belong together that i've been kind of writing on piano and on guitar and i think we could combine that with that idea from martha's vineyard that we never finished so at that stage um we created this kind of like uh frankenstein of this old idea from martha's vineyard and this new song that ezra had started writing and uh and and that's that was kind of the starting point, and then we sort of got together uh, for you know a few days at a time uh, to work on that idea over a couple years, and and finish the song. And I think, and I think that I think I'm pretty sure that I did finish the mix of that song in Cape Cod when I was uh, on vacation in a town called Provincetown that I started going to. So I would say that that, that is the only Vampire Weekend song in history to be finished in Cape Cod.
0: Right. <laughs> Are you on Harmony Hall as well?
1: Well, Harmony Hall was an idea that started so long ago, and I had I had one idea on that song Um which was to, to have the chords go to the choir. And, and that was an idea that sort of like, you know, at that time, the song didn't have a verse. It was, it was skeletal, but that idea sort of maintained, you know, it stayed alive throughout the song's life. And so, um, and so, as Ezra was finishing the album, he and I got together and and you know he mentioned that to me. he was like, "You know, you know how would you like to be credited credited that idea of yours stayed alive um, and uh And I just thought, you know you know something like additional production, I wasn't there for the recording of the entire song uh but you know one of my ideas was integral to it, so something like that is fine. It's not; it wasn't a huge issue to me how I was credited for that song. But, but I think yeah, it's it's nice that that it, you know my idea was respected as as a contribution. You know, living through so many lives that a song can have, I think that's something that both me and Ezra res, we respect. Ideas like so deeply, and and I think that you know our continuing relationship and and uh, collaboration is because we respect that you know the power of ideas in production and in songwriting.
0: I think that's all my questions. Thank you so much for speaking with me.
1: My pleasure.